And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Right, here we go again then. Another post-mortem after the latest Manchester United defeat. This time in the Manchester derby. They seem to be getting worse, don't they? Everyone seems to have a take on Manchester United at the moment and the future, of course, of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But we are going to do our best to break through the noise with the informed takes of our usual crew, plus tactical insight from Michael Cox and the opinion as well of Rio Ferdinand. Yes, welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm Ian Irving, and with us today we have a bumper cast. So first up, the Athletics, Manchester United correspondent, Laurie Whitwell. Morning, Laurie. Morning, Ian. You okay, mate? Yeah, I am, thank you. And United We Stand editor, Andy Mitten. Hello, Ian. And also, along with us for the fun today on this ride, the Athletics' Michael Cox as well. So, Michael, you're going to do your best to explain exactly what the tactics were on Saturday, because 48 hours on, I'm still wondering. Yeah, it wasn't very effective, was it? I mean, obviously, I think base of the system was kind of trying to replicate how Manchester United played against Tottenham when they broadly played very well. But I just think they came up against a side that was miles clear of of how Tottenham played um, last weekend. I thought City did some things very well. I think they stretched the play very well. And I think when Manchester United have played this system previously, they've been quite brave with the wing-backs. They haven't really played a back five. They've, they've tried to stay positive with Wan-Bissaka and Shaw quite high up but I think with the position of Foden and, and Jesus those two just got forced back and it wasn't really those positions that City dominated it was it was kind of the, the pockets in between you know the narrow areas where I thought De Bruyne was dominating Bernardo Silva was excellent so yeah it was it was um, really no positives to speak of I would say from this performance. Andy you were there what did you think? It was grim it was a horrible day it wasn't surprising Walking out the ground, getting soaked, being surrounded by angry, upset fans. Again, as Michael said, United tried to do something similar to Tottenham, which had worked well the previous week. But Manchester City are a far better team than Tottenham. Worrying, talking to City fans, saying United are the worst side that they've played so far this season. Michael mentioned Wan-Bissaka, I thought he was particularly poor. Him losing the ball led to, to a passage of play, which meant Manchester City... Went ahead. I thought there were individual poor performances from Manchester United. David De Gea saved the team for a long time. And then the second goal just before half-time, um, it just looked horrible. Um, from where I was sat in the main stand, it was, you know, the, the mood is completely on the floor among the supporters. And I was in Manchester yesterday and five or six people just came up to me and they broadly said the same thing. that They've got no confidence left in the manager. One man came up to me in, in Manchester Airport, Nigel from Cheadle, 
and he just said there, sorry to interrupt, but I've never felt this bad since Partizan Belgrade in 66, which took me back a bit, I thought. Not Partizan in 66, blimey. <laughs> it was a European Cup semi-final, and I know that um, it was pretty outrageous circumstances at the time because I wrote Paddy Crowen's autobiography, and Paddy was so outraged at the time that he attacked one of the Partizan Belgrade players in the toilets at the after-match banquet. As you do. But I've not heard that before, you know, you sort of hear periods where, which relate to fans individually. But to be fair to him, he'd been going to games, been a fan since 57. He, he goes to all of the matches and he wasn't a crank. He was just like really down about things. And there have been other very, very poor times with, with Manchester United. And I just think there's a lot of despondency around. Wasn't expected this year, this second place last year, new signings came in and it's just really, really grim. And as Michael said, there's, there's all, I can't think of any positives bar David De Gea playing well on Saturday. Yeah, unfortunately, this is part of the issue, really. The reference point for when it was as bad as is just the previous home game, isn't it? Um, I mean, in some ways, it was worse than Liverpool. It felt like in the Liverpool game, there was some sort of semblance of spirit and attack at times. Um, whereas even that was absolutely absent to go with some of the sort of poor aspects of United's play. Laurie, you've done your very best this weekend to try and avoid anything to do with Manchester United, haven't you? I think you've been the wisest one of all of us. What on earth have you been up to? Uh, I'd like to say I could see this coming, so I decided to get get the hell out of Dodge. But uh, yeah, no, I had a stag do in Barcelona on Friday, um, but then I'd already got tickets to Homo Block, which is like a warehouse party uh, on Saturday in Manchester. So... Flight out 7am to Barcelona, flight back to Manchester 7am, Manchester, watch the derby at home, just about, uh, and then, yeah, decided to go drown my sorrows at a, at a big party. So yesterday was spent sort of recovering, but also trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Uh, but yeah, it was a, at least I had some enjoyment over this weekend because, yeah, that, that game on Saturday was pretty bleak from a Manchester United perspective. And just when Andy was mentioning Paddy Crowen having a having a pop at a partisan player in the toilets, I was thinking, is there a United equivalent from that sat from that game on Saturday? You know, could you imagine Harry Maguire throttling Cancelo? You know, probably you're thinking it'd be United players having to go at each other in the dressing room, really, that should have happened. They're throttling but each other, wouldn't they? I think you'd hope so, wouldn't you? But I mean, that's the thing is, is that happening or is it now? It felt like a meek surrender against City. It didn't feel like there was any kind of characters on the pitch, you know, calling out each other. You had Roy Keane in the studio. And we've seen Roy Keane after the game. There's that, that clip on social media where he's he's having a go at a fan that's kind of you know bristling at him a little bit for for not having a smile on his face whilst he's signing autographs. I think, and you're kind of wondering, are those the, uh, where are the characters in United's dressing room in, in that regard right now, or are they feeling like they're sort of pointing the blame at each other and, and not rather coming together? So that that's kind of the worrying thing that I thought looking at the game on Saturday. And it's difficult really to know what was the most sort of damning statistic or take from the match at the weekend. I mean, I saw a lot of people tweeting that David De Gea had made more saves from Manchester United players than Edison, which seems pretty bad. Jacob Whitehead in his match review on The Athletic said that every single outfield player for City touched the ball more than Victor Lindelof, who was a player who had had the most touches for Manchester United. No touch in the City box in the second half or shot on target when Manchester United were chasing the game in the derby as well. I mean, Michael, what, what do you think was sort of the, the worst aspect from what you saw on Saturday for United? I suppose the lack of attacking threat, because I, I was quite excited to see Greenwood come into the team. I think he's been the one who is probably been most compromised by Ronaldo's arrival. I mean, he started two of the first three games up front, and I thought he wasn't really going to get any opportunities up front because of the, the 4-2-3-1. But 
the shift to two up front obviously opens up another slot for a striker. And, you know, obviously Cavani did a good job against uh, Tottenham with and without the ball. But I thought this was a game against a high Manchester City line for Greenwood to get opportunities to run in behind. But we didn't really see that at all. I can barely remember Manchester United going in behind aside from when Ronaldo got caught offside in the right channel and, and had a shot when I thought he probably should have squared it to Greenwood. Maybe he knew he was offside, but yeah, I, Greenwood just didn't get any opportunities really to show what he's all about. And that was a shame because, I mean, he's just such a great talent and uh, and yeah, started the season on fire. And I, I slightly worry about him on the right flank because, I mean, he can play well there. He scored a brilliant goal against Leicester from that position, but He's have, he has to do a lot of defensive work when he plays on the right. And I think if you're trying to turn someone into a real great, the next great Manchester United centre-forward, you don't want them being a, a Park Ji-sung kind of figure. So, yeah, I was excited to see him get a run up front. But, yeah, the ball just wasn't coming his way, really, was it? And in terms of defensively, Michael, as well, what did you think about the plan of, of sort of, well, it was supposed to be three at the back, but it was five at the back, wasn't it? Two defensive midfielders, even Bruno looking like he was playing a defensive role as well. I mean, what do you think of that as an idea, even, to try and stop City that way? Well, I think it's telling the key City's key player really was in terms of creating the goals was Cancelo. I mean, it reminded me a little bit of the Atletico against Liverpool game I watched the other day where Atletico played three five two. The wing back got forced back by Salah, and who does that leave open? Alexander Arnold. I think it's a kind of similar thing here. Foden pins back Wan-Bissaka, who, as Andy said, um, I mean, I, I tend to defend Wan-Bissaka. I, I think sometimes he gets a bit of a a harsh rap, but it was really bad in this game. But it just opened up so much space for, for Cancelo, who I think is a little bit like Alexander-Arnold in the sense he got considering one of the, the opposition's main playmakers. So, yeah, Cancelo created one with his left left foot and one with his right foot, which I think sums up the fact that he was just yeah given the freedom of that flank, really. Andy, what about the pairing of Greenwood and Ronaldo? Because, you know, if, if you are going to play such a defensive lineup you you need sort of pace on the transition and, and runs in behind like Michael was saying and I know there was obviously Cavani injured and Marcus Rashford had been ill during the week as well but there didn't see much dynamism in that in that front line really did there? I thought Cavani missing was a big blow because he'd done very well at Tottenham. I wrote a piece for the Athletic on Greenwood on Friday about where he is seen with a possible shift in formation and one of the points put to me was he could even play in a central role. He doesn't necessarily have to be one of the, the two strikers, given that there's so much competition. And as Michael said, um, uh, Greenwood had played and, and started every game up until uh, Liverpool when he was brought off at, at half-time. And he was taken out for the Tottenham game, came back. Um, I think he is uh, a very good player. I spoke to a lot of people at the club about him and people have watched his progress since he was eight years old. And... All the signs are here are very encouraging about his demeanour, about his overall abilities as a footballer. The club don't want to pigeonhole him. They don't want to say he's going to be a centre-forward, although people expect him to be a centre-forward in time. Um, he's still very young. I just sometimes find, and I found this against the Liverpool, in, in the Liverpool match, um, he has very little impact on the match. And I wasn't surprised when, when he was brought off, but it was a it's a big, bigger game, one which was fit for Cavani. And if you take out Varane and Cavani, that, that team loses a lot. City were miles better. And Bernardo Silva, I thought he was brilliant when he came into City. I'm not watching City all the time, but uh, when I've watched him, he's always been so good for them. And I was surprised at the start of this season that there was talk about him 
him leave him. Um, Cancelo, watched him a lot when he was at Valencia. I think Gary Neville had him at, at Valencia. And then he went to Juventus. And there's another point here. You know, Manchester United have looked at these players and not signed them. And you can add a Ruben Diaz to that as well. And you can come back, albeit with the benefit of hindsight at recruitment. But then again, Guardiola's an exceptional coach and he's getting the best out of players. And people are saying, is Oli going to get in the same? And, and he's not. And there was just such an inevitability when Eric Bailly put the ball in his net. He played really well in Bergamo midweek. And he came in because, well, Bailly's getting a, a chance and started on Saturday because Varane didn't. But for all of his attributes, he is a risk. And you can see why the manager is reluctant to play him. He did really well to get into contention against Spurs last year and within three minutes had ballsed it up for himself uh, when Spurs scored six. And there were similarities again. And if you go behind against City, City have got a, such a good record at Old Trafford in the last decade. The, the, the mood just slumps, but it's happening all the time. And you can feel the fans trying to get behind the team, but United were so limp in attack. I mean, Ronaldo had a very good um, volley which Shaw played into him after 25 minutes. but Only shot on target. Yeah, it was the only shot on target. And I, I don't see all the the noise around what Roy Keane said or Gary Neville said, because I'm at the games. I'm, I'm not seeing them. I'm not watching them. I'm, I'm there. I'm forming my own opinions from what I'm seeing. And what I'm seeing is Manchester City fans singing Ollie at the wheel. And it's really uncomfortable. And fo- football fans are going to do that. I'd do exactly the same if, if I was in their shoes. But a lot of people said to me on Saturday, that was actually worse than Liverpool. It was. I'm not sure I agree with it. I thought it was. United were so outclassed. They couldn't get the ball at times. And this was a team who'd been beaten the previous week by Crystal Palace, which you know, we love the unpredictability of the Premier League here, that, that West Ham can go and be, beat Liverpool. That's definitely a good thing for the league. But for Manchester United fans right now, it really, really is grim. And we've got two more weeks now of just like what happens next yeah the sense I got from the players after the game as well doing the interviews it sounded like they thought it was worse in Liverpool I think because it was on top of Liverpool it was the following home game there was sort of that sense of anticipation that there might be some sort of reaction these three matches had been billed as as sort of games where United needed to turn things around Tottenham had been good Atlanta had been okay Uh, and then this came I mean even listening to the players sort of apologise or or say, you know, we need to look in the mirror or whatever the lines were that people like Bruno Fernandes used after the game. They just felt hollow, really, to be honest. I think even the players, Laurie, felt that if they had to do the interviews, of course, they had to say something, but they knew that whatever they said, it's got to the point now where it's not even fulfilling a role for anyone, really, is it? No, yeah, I mean, I think Bruno Fernandes says, you know, we have to we have to speak less and, and do more, you know, perform more. You know, you can only say so much. You know, words. Even that sounds empty. hollow now, though, doesn't it? It's yeah, got to that point, does. really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the the difference with the Liverpool one was at least there was some sort of defiance with the Liverpool. I know it was five nil and it could have been worse, but it felt like there was some kind of riposte to, to that. Whereas City, it was you know we'll just accept this. We'll, we'll you know we can't do anything else, so let's just try and stop it from being a, an absolute hammering. Um, and maybe that is, you know, showing some kind of uh, intelligence to kind of stem the bleeding. But it felt very despondent and dispiriting um, as a performance. And I get why people are fed up with the manager talking. But to be fair to him, he's contractually obliged to. Yeah, and the players are as well. Exactly. And the players are as well. And they have to do 
10, 15 interviews after the game. They've got no choice there. What else can they say? I'm not so sure why Eric Bailly decides to tweet a picture of him scoring an own goal. It's the first that, isn't it? I've never seen that before. I just can't see any good that can come from that unless he's wanting to get loads of people saying, you're okay, Um, we we accept it. I I just find the whole thing um, really unusual. There's very little backing for Oli at the moment. You cannot pretend otherwise. Uh, But the people who are backing him at least for now, are the people who do make the decisions and I've got no indication that uh, he's going to be sacked. That may change. Clearly, the results like this um, cannot cannot go on, but it, it's on the floor. How will he get out of this? Well, United are clearly nowhere near as good as City and Liverpool, but are better than Tottenham and can draw against Atalanta and beat Villarreal or Atalanta at home. So... Do United then become consistent enough with the games coming up to start getting some wins? You know, Watford. Then again, remember United losing at Watford a couple of um, years ago, which was a stinking performance, the worst performance of the season. <laughs> the only way that Ollie's going to get out of this, if he is, is winning. That is it. Listeners, we've got a very small favour to ask. We want to make sure we're making the very best football podcasts out there, so we need to know what you like and what we can do better. We've prepared a survey over at theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk and if you complete it, you'll be entered into a prize draw to win one of three £100 Amazon shopping vouchers. Now, we're only after the feedback from UK listeners at this stage and you can only win those Amazon shopping vouchers if you live in England, Scotland, Wales or Northern Ireland. So if that applies to you, then please head on over to theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk. That's theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk. Thanks. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 
Right, two Premier League managers lost their jobs, of course, this weekend. Norwich's Daniel Farker, despite winning, dismissed with his side bottom of the league, of course, the form before the Brentford result probably did it for him. Um, more interestingly for us, maybe, Dean Smith was relieved of his duty at Aston Villa as well. Five consecutive defeats saw him get the sack. And interestingly, his last points as manager were at Old Trafford, weren't they? Brilliant. Right, the bookmakers have a definitive take then on who is the most likely to be the next departure in the Premier League. Solskjaer way out in front, 4-9 to nine on as the next manager to lose his job. Interestingly, actually, Brendan Rodgers, 13-2, to two, his second favourite. We might get into that in just a moment. Andy, you sort of touched on it there about Solskjaer's future. Uh, and Laurie, I guess you've got a very sort of similar take on the situation at the moment because... There seems to be not much backing coming out. There seems to be a little bit of quiet at the minute, which is always a concern. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody at United really wants to make this decision um, because you've got Ed Woodward on the way out. Does he really want to sack Solskjaer as his last act? You've got Richard Arnold coming in. Um, does he want to make that his first act? Uh, I sense there's a little bit of paralysis there, whilst at the same time they you know, have put so much faith in Solskjaer that it would be quite an admittance of getting something wrong to then, you know, pull the plug now, even now, after all, you know, these results that have happened and, and the way that United have slumped down the table. Um, so, and then on the flip side, who do you bring in? Um, they've obviously had reservations about Antonio Conte, otherwise they would have acted on his availability um, and he's gone into Tottenham. He obviously sensed that. Um, and, you know, then you've got other managers that are in jobs and, and obviously there's been some speculation about Brendan Rodgers um, and it's interesting that he is the second favourite to, to, to sort of it's depart. a reaction to that, isn't it, I think? I suppose it could be, but I, I think also you, you look at that situation at Leicester, some people that I know that, that watch the club on a frequent basis say that there's a little bit of flatness around it. I mean, Rodgers is definitely an excellent coach and I don't know if the Liverpool thing would really count against him for United ultimately. That'd be an interesting one to kind of ascertain from United fans. Um that probably the, the bigger thing that United fans would have a, a concern about with Rodgers is, has he won anything of, of significant note? Obviously, his time in, in Scotland was extremely successful. You know, nearly, well, he was basically going to win the treble treble, wasn't he, with them? Um, but, uh, you know, for United fans, would they count that as, as good enough? I mean, I personally think what he did at Liverpool was very impressive, um, going so close to the title, obviously just falling short. Um, and, and I think he would, you know, he, he's shown his pedigree as, as a great coach, you know, he obviously had that great win against United um, earlier this season, but there are there are issues at Leicester. The defence is certainly um, you know quite porous, so there's, there's lots to consider on that front. Um, and I suppose that just it, 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 from a United perspective, they they need they know they need to to if they are to make a change to get this absolutely right um, because they're already trailing the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City and now Chelsea, and you, you wonder what Conte might be able to do at Tottenham. Um, and so that's why I, I. But there's no sense, as Andy says, there's no sense of a change being made. I think they want to give Solskjaer still time to try and turn this around. They're looking at the fixtures and thinking actually that the table could look different after the next set of fixtures. You know, I mean, the international break next is, is March. There's, there's a long run now of, of club football. And, you know, the way that the results went over the weekend with, um, you know, Chelsea drawing and, and Liverpool losing, they're not actually that far off top bizarrely you know um, I mean was it five points off off Liverpool yeah United seem to wait until things are, are worse than this in, in some sense you know certainly in recent times it's been not qualifying for the Champions League which has been the barometer I mean under Jose Mourinho the, the atmosphere around the club made that change 
sort of have to happen. It forced Manchester United's hand. Michael, you've been writing about the sort of attitude of elite clubs in this era to upgrading managers as opposed to waiting until the situation gets extremely dire. Uh, are you sort of sensing with Manchester United that they're different to a lot of the other teams in the way they're approaching the situation with Solskjaer? Yeah, I, I mean, I think they seem to be waiting for the situation where Solskjaer just, there's no argument for keeping him. His position's untenable. I think when you look at, I mean, obviously, after the back of Manchester City defeating United at the weekend, if you look at how Guardiola was appointed, it's worth remembering that when that was announced, City was second in the league. They were three points off Leicester, who no one thought would, would last the, the course. This was the start of February. Um, and they saw an upgrade in Guardiola, an obvious upgrade, and they went for it. You know, Pellegrini's City were favourite to win the league at that point, and that would have been a second title in three years for him. They were about to take on Leicester that weekend as well. I was in the press conference where Pellegrini announced he was leaving. It was yeah, it was a massive at, shock. At the Etihad, right? So they they won that if they won that game as people expected, they would have gone top. So that's that's the kind of thing that they do. I would argue that Rogers at Liverpool, he'd had a difficult season, he'd made a bad start, but I think it was three wins, three draws and two defeats um at the start of that game. It it wasn't quite a situation where people were saying he had to go. But Klopp was on the table and, and they took Klopp. You can vaguely make a similar argument for, for Tuchel. I think probably Lampard had run out of steam. But I don't think Lampard would have been sacked five or six weeks earlier after that run because they didn't have Tuchel available. So I, I don't think clubs are doing this thing anymore that they used to where they sack a manager and they spend two weeks working out who they're going to get. They, they line up who they're going to get and then they take action. And um, that's relevant to Solskjaer's future because I'm not sure there is an obvious replacement uh, at the moment who is out of work as there has been previously with, with certain managers you know we're talking about Rodgers but it can be difficult I think to get managers out of a club midway through the campaign especially if they feel they're working towards something so yeah I think Solskjaer's future is is obviously dependent on who you're getting uh, going to get into replacing and I, I would like to think the Manchester United board would, would really have worked that out before they uh, take any action. Yeah you can read Michael's take on the Athletic on the managerial changes and the way they seem to go these days for the top teams in the Premier League. I mean, Andy, the, the obvious candidate, I suppose, as of only last week, was Antonio Conte, wasn't it? He was the obvious one that everyone talked about. He was out of work. He was a top-level coach. He was proven at the top level in the Premier League as well. He's gone to, to Tottenham now. So what does happen next? Who, who who possibly would United be looking at if they did decide to, to get rid of Oli? United would look at the elite managers but as Michael said most of them tend to be in a job and most of them tend to be doing well in a job so Guardiola's one of them Klopp's one of them two shells uh, one of them not that Manchester United fans want reminding of this uh, Brendan Rodgers it's interesting when Laurie says actually done well but the grass isn't super green over in Leicester either I think there's a desperation from United fans just bring someone in anyone uh, I speak to lots of people who say it's really, really difficult for anyone. It is beyond one person. The issues are more structural. Manchester United would push back against that and said, you know, we've done the reboot. Um, they're hoping this is a blip. It doesn't look like a blip at the moment, but that's what United are hoping. And Ollie's been in a in a corner before. Um, the, the 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 managers I know best outside of the UK are in Spain. I really like Luis Enrique. Uh, he is in charge of the Spanish national team. He's doing very well. I've had absolutely no indication that he wants to move to England. Well, his wife certainly never wanted to because he said, my wife likes the son. And 
you know, a World Cup's coming up. I like Valverde when he was at Barcelona, but these aren't fashionable names. And Enrique might be Valverde wouldn't, but I've got no indication that United are speaking to, to any of these people. I think if United did decide to make the decision, the point Michael makes is right. United are a, a PLC. The stock market doesn't like uncertainty. Something else would have to be lined up. So Oli Gunnar knew that he was going to get the job. He didn't just get a phone call on the day that Jose Mourinho was sacked. And this is a big grey area for football, including with players as well. You know, They don't just, by magic, agree terms and, and sign for a club. Chats have gone on behind the scenes. Uh, I'm not aware of any chats going on behind the scenes with regard to managers. Um, I still think that there's a reluctance from United to sack the manager because they think up until six weeks ago he was actually doing a good job. And I think you could argue that point. The problem, I think, at the minute, I heard a lot of United fans saying this after the game on Saturday, is that you know all the good work that Ollie's done in terms of the reboot that you just referred to a minute ago, Andy, and sort of changing the mood after Jose. I know we're a few years on now, but sort of bringing back the sense of what Manchester United is and sort of feeding into that that psyche of of, of fans from the days of Sir Alex Ferguson, saying similar things, trying to play similar ways, and and obviously the new players that have come in have, have been exciting. The, the signings largely have been have been successful. I think there's a there's a danger in fans' minds now that that get, all gets undone if Manchester United let this situation go on uh, longer and there's more damage done in terms of results and the league position and the mood around the team and the, and sort of in the psyche of the players as well. I mean, Laurie, what what do you think happens next? I, I agree with you there in, in that the longer if if this continues, then that. The, the kind of feel-good factor about Oli being in charge is, is dissipated because that was always the thing that I sort of fell back on when people, you know, fairly justifiably said he's not elite, he's not a top manager. Why have United got a guy in charge that no other Premier League elite club would hire? Um, you know, you do look at where else he might go. I think Danny Taylor mentioned that in his piece um, in the round table where he sort of say, what what standard would Ollie go in at next? And I always sort of fell back on, yeah, but United is a different situation. He obviously understands the club and in this world of kind of modern football where, um, you know, a lot of it is about financial and commercial, then it's actually it's quite a sort of emotional connection to have a guy in charge that has, has got that history with him. Um, and I kind of, you know, thinking against myself that, you know, if it could work out, how, how wonderful it would be. Um, but I, so I think that's what United's board still have in mind. You know, he's obviously been a guy for them who has you know, um, been a, a good manager to communicate with. He's been someone on side with them. He's obviously pushed back against certain things and said where things need to change, but he's kept things in-house largely. It's, it's as Andy says, United as a company, it's, it's been a steady ship with, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as the manager. So I think that's why there's a reluctance there to, to part ways. And I do also think the Champions League is a factor where United are still in the Champions League. You know they they should qualify for the knockout phase. Um, and with Ronaldo playing the way he is in the Champions League, you sort of wonder how far they could go if they can kind of get some. You know Tottenham made the final under Mauricio Pochettino when it was a very streaky tournament that they had. Um, and you sort of wonder is that sort of in the back of their minds and and is ultimately Champions League qualification in the Premier League, which would be Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's third season in a row qualifying for the Champions League, which is a pattern of stability, is still feasible. It's not you know, beyond the realms. And that's really when United have acted in the past 
as you as you mentioned, and they do take their time. But you know, it was when Louis van Gaal didn't qualify for the Champions League. It was when it looked like you know Jose Mourinho was just tail spinning in, into mid table that they acted, and Champions League was a distant speck on the horizon. Um, so there, there are a couple of factors to consider, and I mentioned Pochettino just then. He he's the the other manager that I think United would be interested in if if it came to it. Um, but he's at Paris Saint Germain. There's some debate about whether he's truly satisfied there but all the sounds you get are that PSG have got no intention of, of parting ways with him so I think that kind of puts that situation as now Solskjaer you know again staying in, in position Yeah I mean Pochettino would be I don't know what the word would be but he's got to walk away from a team who are dominating the French league packed with with stars I, I guess it's not a simple job there certainly and there seems to be murmurs of discontent even though the way they've started the season has been pretty good at PSG so to step away from all of that to come across to a job in Manchester which feels like it's growing by the week would be a pretty brave call I mean just to pick up some of the subscriber comments on this uh, Vishal says Brendan Rodgers please god no uh, Gita says is it too late to send Conte and Uber to Old Trafford well yeah probably it is to be fair um Interesting, actually, because we sort of picked up on it before. United have taken four points from the last 18 available in the Premier League. And yet, as Rory points out, I can't believe how badly we've played. And we're only five points behind Liverpool, six behind City and nine off the top, which seems absolutely remarkable. I mean, Michael, the, the one sort of crumb of comfort maybe for Manchester United is that it seems to be a Premier League this time where teams are taking points off the top sides, doesn't it? And there is a chance that you can still salvage something from the season despite the fact that United, uh, uh, their form has been so poor of late. Yeah, that is true. I mean, look at Liverpool's form. They've they've only won two of the last six, which seems odd because with the exception of West Ham, whenever I've seen Liverpool, they've looked really good this season. Yeah, so. one of the two was a, a little soiree at Old Trafford, <laughs> I think, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it is um, it is a funny league table. It, it's, there's a lot of weird things at the top of it. I mean, even Arsenal being up in fifth, having lost their first three games of the season and haven't lost since then. I think they're now on the longest unbeaten record in the league. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, if we're talking about, let's say, Rodgers, you know, sometimes we think, would a manager want to come in mid-season when there's so much to fix? Maybe would if, if, if a manager like that sees United only five points off the Champions League places, tremendous attacking talent, I think lots to work with, obviously lots to improve. I mean, I don't think it's a bad job to take. Sometimes sometimes you feel like the club needs a complete reboot. And I think at higher levels, that probably is true. But in terms of the playing staff, I think there's a lot to be to be getting on with there. So I think it still is probably quite an attractive job. Um, albeit, yeah, as we mentioned before, the real elite manager is probably not, uh, not available at the moment. Andy, what do you think will happen then over these next two weeks? How do you see it going? You, you were pretty good at predicting sort of post-Liverpool. What about post-City? I think the club put message out that the manager's not getting sacked. I think um, the mood picks up off the floor. Um, actually, listening to Michael and Laurie has cheered me up a little bit, just like putting <laughs> it into perspective. I don't know why. I'm like smiling for the first time because other teams are, are losing. And trust me, I left the ground on Saturday and I, I wanted to get away and I went to watch Trafford to see how they were going on. It was it was the third anniversary of my dad dying. I wanted to see some of me some of his old football mates there. I went to Runcorn. It was lagging it down. There was a little firm <laughs> of Runcorn hooligans looking for trouble. Trafford were leading. I walked in the ground 
run corn equalised. I just thought, where's this day going? I didn't have a lift back to Manchester. And you're just thinking, and I tweeted on Saturday, it doesn't rain, it poured. It was just one of them days where <laughs> everything just goes wrong. I think um, there'll be a drift now in the next two weeks. United fans will sort of realise maybe there's not an obvious candidate to take over. Maybe the manager's not going to get sacked and that won't be to everybody's liking either. Maybe there'll be some good news. You know, one of the players is back and ready. We saw that before the Liverpool game, before the Spurs game, sorry, where Ollie said, I've got a full complement of players now. Um, I don't think he'll have that in time for, for the next match. And, you know, for all the fury and my mate saying this is disgraceful, they still turn up at the next game. You know, so you... It's a weird one, and and this is actually the reality for most football fans. The teams do lose, but at the moment, there's just this fury. Um, he 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 cannot continue losing matches. I just think the job will become so untenable that the man who makes the decision, Joel Glazer, will make the decision. And I think all the time now, um, United will uh, be looking at other options. But I've got no evidence, and I've spoke to a lot of people there that this, this is happening. There was no free games given after that defeat against Liverpool, is my firm understanding. Why not, Andy? Well, for the reasons we've touched on, because up until six weeks ago, you know, Oli led United to second last year. Nobody was expecting that. And for as bad as we've been recently, there, was a, there were a lot of good performances last year. There were lots of reasons for optimism. Adding... Ronaldo and, and and Sancho and, and Varane and that's one reason why the optimism grew even more and then this the reality is very different to, to people's perceptions and we can argue the falls and against of all those players. I suspect Donny van der Beek will get a bit of a run. You heard the Stratford end on Saturday singing his name and that was a dig at the manager. That wasn't a, a booing ollie, that was like we want to see Donny van der Beek and maybe it's a last throw of the dice giving him a run in the team. But I suspect that 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 would happen. Um, but then you could say, well, that's the manager not having courage in his own convictions. But then if they're losing anyway, it's all pretty desperate. It's pretty desperate that the fans are singing for Donny van der Beek, who's not really done anything in the United shirt. And I'd love Donny van der Beek to come in and be fantastic and be the player I saw at Ajax dominating against Real Madrid in the Bernabeu. We're scraping the barrel here. We really are. You might get bits of good news. West Ham beating Liverpool was a bit of good news. Uh, but you can you can tell by my pauses, there ain't that much about. No, there's not, is there? Um, David Ornstein's written, sort of supporting what you and Laurie have been saying, Andy, as well, saying that at the minute there's no plans uh, to dismiss the manager. You can read his take on The Athletic as well. And he sort of suggested that he will be in charge for the next match at Watford. But, Laurie, it's going to be a very long two weeks, isn't it? I know a lot of the players are sort of going away on international duty. Could that actually help, though, in terms of sort of refreshing and resetting some minds that they're, they're going to be away from United for a little while? I suppose so. A change of scenery is never a you know, bad thing if you're in a, a difficult situation. Like um, going to Barcelona for the night on a stag do on a Friday, <laughs> maybe, yeah? And I was hoping to see Andy over there, but um, I think he were you on the flight over to Manchester already by that point? Yeah, my plane flew past yours, and it's mad, even though it was like a thousand miles an hour, I could just see your quiff bobbing along on the other plane. <laughs> Next time, mate, and I need a good night out with you, I really do, because this is uh, 
This is flattening our moods big time. Well, ba- Barcelona did have a lot to offer. It was a, a very enjoyable, uh, very enjoyable spell. I had a little drink in the square, and then off to a couple of clubs. So it was a, a you know, proper proper city in it, Barcelona. I can see why you live there. It's a it's it's an absolutely brilliant city. Um, well, I know this is a Manchester United podcast, but they bring Xavi Hernandez in today as boss. They've had an even worse season than than Manchester United. The emotional uh, appeal of Xavi is very strong for Barca fans, and I think they also know that they're in such a bad place. They're just they're also desperate. They're they're pinning their hopes on someone who can can do a, a, a decent job for them. So there's a lot of desperate football fans at the moment. And Pochettino, I spoke to some people close to PSG. I mean, in addition to what you've said about him being top of the league, etc., they are winning, but they're not winning well enough in the eyes of some. But he lives in Paris. It's not a bad city. And he was the captain of PSG. You know, he, he, He's not just gone in there. He was the captain of PSG. And he's got a, um, a strong emotional contact with, with, with them as well. Before we go then, um, we sort of mentioned it, didn't we, uh, in the preview to the City match, but Laurie, you sat down with Rio Ferdinand, didn't you? Uh, the article is now up on The Athletic, a fascinating read, a sort of wide-ranging chat with the former Manchester United defender. And actually, he had his say as well on what he thinks Manchester United need to do. My only issue with the things that, uh, 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 when we looked to the Liverpool game, up to that point, mm. even to now, after the game against Atalanta, um, you look at it and go, what are we? That's my biggest problem, and there needs to be a solution for it. What is it? I thought we found it against Spurs, mm. but then Varane goes off and we slip back to type again of being mm. open and easy to slice through. So, like, until you find that consistency of what you are with your system, forget the players. You rotate players all day long. That's the game nowadays. But the system that everyone knows and adheres to mm. and respects. Mm then it's going to be difficult to really mount a proper challenge on all fronts because you can't play off the cuff nowadays. Teams are too good structurally and, and, and tactically to be able to play off the cuff. It hasn't been good enough as a collective. Forget the individuals, it's just as a collective, d- defensively as a team. And sometimes you can have as good a player as you want in a back three or back four. If the other bit isn't functioning in front of you, don't care who you are, when you're left exposed and open, you're going to get hurt. And I think they've been a victim of that a lot of the time. The team isn't set up to help them. And I was fortunate. You can't say it's just down to just because we're good defenders. We were in a team. Carrick, Scholes, Owen Hargreaves, Fletch, whoever it was in front, they're doing shifts. Communication from me or someone that would be going right, left, get up, whatever. But it's a unit rather than individuals. I think they play as individuals. That's the problem. And so it doesn't leave anybody looking in the best favour. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think... And, it, and it's almost like it could be seen as being a reflection of them that they've had to go to a three, maybe, because they're not comfortable with them being in a two. And that tells you structurally in a team there's something wrong and they're not getting it right. They can't get it right. And you think after Spurs game, you think, oh, they looked a bit solid there. Mm. That's the the most controlled I've seen this team. Mm. And then all of a sudden, Varane goes off, back to the same again. Mm. And you think, it's not just about Varane because they played in a four with Varane in it, it's still got sliced open. I don't know. I don't think it's right to just pick on an individual in this situation. I think it's, it's more important to sort out the structure of the team which will help the individuals to perform. Mm. 
I wonder just, you know, when you've got players that have had the experience that they've got, you know, Cristiano's sort of two, old, two years older than Kieran McKenna, for example. So mm. it's like that dynamic is just an interesting one for me to kind of mm. try and consider, I suppose. I think you just put Cristiano away, though. Right. He <laughs> doesn't need to be managed. He manages himself. And whatever about, I mean, obviously it kind of blew up, didn't it? The whole presses thing, the style of play. What do you it's mean? Bollocks. Yeah. It's bollocks. I said it, I said it every time I've heard that. You're not talking about Joe Bloggs. Yeah. You're talking about one of the greatest, if not the greatest, goal scorer, decisive player yeah. in the yeah. history of the game. You don't buy him to run and press people. He's never been bought to buy. Real Madrid didn't buy him in his pomp to go and press defenders. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what do you want it now for? Do you know what I mean? It just yeah. don't make sense to me. Michael, it's interesting that Ronaldo was brought up again because there's been so much said and written about his pressing or lack of this season uh, for Manchester United and, of course, beyond that as well, really. I mean, do you do you see him as a as the tactical issue that, that needs solving for Oli now? And if a new manager came in, would he be the biggest issue to solve as well? Um, I mean, I, I think Ferdinand's kind of analysis of that situation is a little bit disingenuous. I mean, he was saying you don't bring Ronaldo into press. Well, of course you don't. The issue is that you bring him in to score goals and he scores goals and he does that, but then he doesn't press. So you have to structure the rest of the side accordingly to compensate for that. I don't think that's been happening. I mean, Ronaldo has been fantastic. He's pretty much keeping to his side of the bargain. He's probably not now after the weekend, but he was on, I think he was on about one goal every 98, 99 minutes, something like that. It's not bad, is it? That is really sensational. And none of them have been penalties as well. It's worth pointing out. People have said over the years, sometimes he, he pads out a penalty. He hasn't scored any penalties. And some of his goals, I mean, one of the volley against Tottenham, the, the equaliser against Atalanta has been incredible. I don't think it's an issue to have him in, in your side in itself, but you do need to structure you know, the rest of the team accordingly. And I, that just hasn't been the case. And there's also a knock-on effect with, you know, as we as I mentioned earlier, with, with Mason Greenwood's position. And I would say Paul Pogba's position as well. I mean, he was brilliant in the first two or three games of the season playing from wide. But if he then have to have one of your attackers out wide, there's not a place for him. He's going to play in the centre or he's not going to be in the team. So... I don't think Ronaldo deserves any blame. It's it's just that if you sign him, you have to make allowances elsewhere, and and that hasn't been done. Um, and yeah, if if another manager came in, I think they would, to a certain extent, would have a few of the same problems in terms of fitting the players into the team. Because I think United are just top heavy. They've got at least one too many attacking players to put in a, a cohesive team. Really, okay, um, definitely lots of issues for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to sort if he remains in charge. For that Watford game, remember, keep your eyes on The Athletic for the very latest on the Manchester United situation. If you're not a subscriber, now is probably a good time to do it. If you're a Manchester United fan, of course, you can get a 33% discount off a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Well, Michael, thank you for joining us. I don't, I'm not sure if I should ask if you enjoyed it or not because it was a difficult one for, for us to do on Talk of the Devils. I, I only ever get asked on these club podcasts after like a harrowing defeat. <laughs> so I just I just do the rounds. People must think I'm the most negative person in the world, which probably is true. But yeah, it'll be someone else next week. I'm, yeah, after the international break, someone else will lose. I'll have to go on and that and talk about it. Well, it might be well. Manchester United again, the way things are going at the minute. <laughs> but I promise you the next time we win well, and there's some sort of tactical masterclass or something close, we'll get you on to talk about that instead. Andy, you're frowning. No, I'm laughing at what Michael says because for me, people will ring me up when Manchester United are in a, a, a bad place and you think, where were you ringing me when things were better? Where were you after the one or draw against Everton when we didn't lose a match? Asking me to do an in, in, interview. And it, yeah, there's just a pile on. You just, I just knew on, on Saturday night 
my mate said, come on, let's have a few more beers. And I said, no, I'm, I'm just going to get hammered tomorrow with uh, with requests of people picking off the, the carcass. And, uh, well, what can you do? This is the job we do as well. Yeah, it certainly is. And it just seems to be the way things are just at the moment for Manchester United. But, Andy, thank you for coming on and picking at the carcass today as well. Laurie, thank you to you as well. Go and get some sleep, some rest of some description, mate. You're looking quite fresh for it, but, uh, you know, there might be some long days ahead in the next few weeks, so you get your energy back up. Michael, Andy, Laurie, thank you for joining us. Guys at home as well, thank you for listening to Talk of the Devils. We'll be back throughout this international break. And like I say, keep your eyes on The Athletic for the very latest on Manchester United as well. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Athletic.